0: Way City Church, located in Woodbridge, Virginia, is led by Pastor Marlon Yearwood and exists to reach the lost and disciple the believer. Uh, this morning, God willing, we're gonna conclude our study of Luke chapter 15. Um, so last week we started speaking about the lost son, part one, and this week its message title is The Lost Son, Part Two. So this week we're gonna read from uh, Luke chapter 15, uh, verses 1 through 10. And also Luke 15:25 through 32. Last week we covered Luke 15, 11 through 24. So I'm speaking to you this morning from, from the Gospel of Luke chapter 15. Where we will find what, what seems to be uh, three parables of Jesus. But in fact it really is one parable that has three different parts. Just like a play may have three acts or a, a movie may have two sequels. Now, a, a uh, parable, Jesus is telling a, a parable here. Now, a parable, in simple terms, is a short, vivid, fictional story that uses figurative imagery to teach important truths. That's what a parable is, in simple terms. And some of Jesus' parables, they are, they are so powerfully moving that you're uncertain as to whether he is actually telling a story about real people, or whether it's a parable at all. But either way, the the point for Jesus teaching uh, amazing parables is for him to make a point, for him to stress a, a point that he wants his hearers to not easily forget. So Jesus teaches life transforming lessons in the style of parabolic language. Let's go, Luke chapter 15. Luke 15 and Verse 1. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. Now this is very important to the rest of the story. Let me give you some historical context real quick. So during this time, the, the Roman Empire was the most powerful empire in the world. And they ruled over Israel and they enslaved them for at least 400 years. The, the Romans were a, a cold-hearted, very brutal, uh, sadistic kind of people. Just think of the, the Colosseum and the kind of things that they used to do there just for, just for fun. Just for pleasure and for entertainment. So the 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 tax collectors now they're they're far more than just dishonest men that force people to pay more taxes than they actually owed. Far more than that. They were Jewish people that lived within the community, so they lived among their brethren, yet they were working for and and actively serving and, and promoting the work of the very people that enslaved the Jewish people. So these Jewish men, known as tax collectors, were hired by the oppressor, which was the Romans. And so they were seen as traitors to their people. They were seen as traitors to their very own people, and they also they were not paid a wage by the Romans. They had, they had no pay from the Romans directly for the work that they did. So basically, they worked by dishonest gain. They worked from dishonest commission. And the Romans gave them the right and the authority to do just that. So these are the tax collectors. But they're well-educated, and they are wealthy, and they're well-dressed. After all, they, they represent the Roman Empire. Now, the sinners, the tax collectors and the sinners. Now, the sinners, the sinners on the other hand, were not perceived as we perceive sinners to be today. Today we we perceive uh, sinners and we know sinners to be everyone. Everyone is a sinner because we fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners today by our understanding. We've received revelation on this side of the cross, and we understand that we've all sinned. Not back then, though. Back in the day, the people who were called sinners were the outcasts of society. These were the ones that were labeled sinners. The outcasts of society, the poor, the lame, the crippled, the prostitute, and the demon-possessed, were the sinners. In other words, you could clearly see that something was wrong with these individuals. They were the sinners. The Pharisees and the scribes and even the disciples, they held this viewpoint because it was a cultural thing. You guys remember the story in the Bible of the the man who was born blind? It was the disciples that came to Jesus and said to Jesus, Jesus, Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents? Because in their eyes, he had to be a, a sinner because of his deformity. Because that's who sinners were, again, back then. And Jesus says, neither, neither this man nor his parents has sinned. And what he was saying was, this man's condition has nothing to do with, with anyone's sin. Because we understand that, that all have sinned, but Jesus was making a point that his condition, that his deformity had nothing to do with anybody's sin. So Jesus is talking here to tax collectors and to sinners. I don't know if they would typically have been in the, in the same room by choice. But he's speaking to tax collectors and sinners. The tax collectors and sinners, they were a very different class of people. Yet they had in common the same thing. They were despised by their community. And they were the lowest of the low. That's what the tax collectors and sinners had in common. Verse 2. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So the Pharisees are the religious Jewish leaders that memorized God's word and by the appearance lived very disciplined and upright lives. These were the Pharisees. They loved God's Word, they memorized God's Word, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, they knew it, they memorized it, and by the appearance they, they lived very upright lives. In fact if they were among us today their level of holiness I believe would exceed many of us and many of us in this room would look up to the Pharisees. So the the religious Jewish leaders who worked in the temple of God the Pharisees, right? So the religious Jewish leaders who worked in the temple of God were complaining that Jesus was hanging out with sinners. Hmm. The religious Jewish leaders who worked in the temple of God were complaining that Jesus was loving sinners. And that's a very important point that I just made. And we'll see it again later in the parable that Jesus tells. Now, the scribes were someone employed for his ability to read and to write. That's who the scribes were. Their role, primarily, copying the manuscripts. Also, teaching and interpreting the Torah and other Jewish writings. They worked in the temple as well, also in the royal court, and also they, they did administrative. Stuff. These were the scribes. Some scribes were also a part of the the sect of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and some were also priests and Levites. Verse 3. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, To who? That's important. Jesus has tax collectors, again, and sinners that draw near to him to hear him. The tax collectors and the sinners, they draw near to Jesus, they want to hear exactly what he has to say, but then Jesus is actually addressing primarily the Pharisees and the scribes, because they're murmuring and because they are complaining. And obviously he's ministering to the tax collectors and sinners too, but he's primarily addressing the scribes and the Pharisees because of the issues that they have with Jesus so he begins his parable in order to make a point to the scribes and the Pharisees and, and here's, the, here's the parable, part one. Verse four. Who's Jesus speaking to? Good. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the, the one which is lost, until he finds it. This is the first part of the parable now. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost, until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends, And neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. So verses 4 through 6 is the parable addressed to the scribes and the Pharisees, and verse 7 is the application. And we see in this parable that the subject is the sheep, the problem is that it is lost, the search is the operation, the mission is to find, and it is successful, it is found, and the conclusion is joy, rejoicing. Part two, Jesus continues to speak to the Pharisees, verse 8, or... What woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. What is lost here cannot be found without light, without the lamp. Verses 8 and 9 is the parable again addressed to the scribes and Pharisees and verse 10 is the application we see in this parable, the subject is the coin. The problem is that it is lost. The search is the operation. The mission is to find, and it is successful, for it is found, and the conclusion is joy and rejoicing. Now, I'm sure the the Calvinists find great comfort in the first two parts of this parable, where that which was lost was sought. The the shepherd sought until he found, the woman sought until she found, and both the sheep and the coin have absolutely no part to play in this rescue mission. So they are comforted, and, and rightly so, in God's sovereignty in seeking the lost. But now the Arminians too find great comfort in the last part of the parable that we're about to read. For for the son comes to his senses and then says that he will return home to the father. The human responsibility and response to the father's love is seen here. So, both the, the Calvinists and the Arminians find great comfort in Luke chapter 15. Different parts of Luke chapter 15. So, part three of the parable. And we taught on this last week, so we're just going to read over it. Part three the parable of the lost son, as some call it. Verse 11. Then he said, A certain man, he's speaking. Again, to the scribes and the Pharisees. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living, which means wasteful living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Verse 15, Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. So verse 11 through 24 is the parable addressed to the scribes and the Pharisees. While deeply ministering to the tax collectors and the sinners as well. And verse 25 through 32 is the application which we will will read in just a moment. So we see in this parable that we just read, the first part, the subject is the son. The problem is that he is lost due to wandering. The father here patiently waits. The father patiently waiting is the operation. The mission is that the son would return home, that he would remember his father and that he would return home due to the love that his father had instilled in him and this son knew that that love was always available from the father and it's successful he's found the younger son is found, it is a successful mission he's found by the father when he's still a far way off and he's brought back into the house Someone say brought back into the house He's brought back into the house The conclusion is joy And rejoicing Well at least from the father's perspective And from the perspective of the, of the servants They rejoice They're the ones that rejoice The father and the servants They rejoice They rejoice the Son returns home. And now this is the the plot twist of the story. And the Pharisees never saw this coming. It was a room just like this one. And the tax collectors and the sinners, they they were at the front. They, They drew near to hear what Jesus had to say. And the Pharisees, and the scribes, they were in the back, just kind of just watching. And they were murmuring. And they listened to Jesus tell these stories. And they're somewhat okay with the stories until now. Here's the plot twist that the Pharisees never saw coming. This parable changes here. And we're introduced to another brother, the older brother, the other son. Let's read it verses 25 through 32. So they're all rejoicing, mission successful. Now his older son was in the field. Father had two sons. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. Verse 28 But he was angry, and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you, I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came Who has devoured your livelihood with harlots You killed the fatted cow for him And he said to him He said son You are always with me And all that I have is yours It was right That we should make merry and be glad For your brother was dead And is alive again And was lost And is found. Two sons of the father. One left home, and one has always been at home. How can two sons live under the same roof and be so different? This parable shows us how different the two sons are, yet they both have exactly the same thing in common. Their need for the father. They're very different. They're polar opposites. One left home, one has always been at home. One created distance from the father and the other stayed with the father. But both of them have the same thing in common, the same need. Their greatest need is They both desperately need the father. And so now, the word father is mentioned 12 times total in this parable. And son is mentioned 9 times. The older son never addresses his father as father in this parable. But the younger son addresses him as father 5 times in this parable. There are two types of lost people. The lost people outside of the church, and the lost people inside of the church. The lost people without the church, and the lost people with the church. And usually it's the ones that's outside that come inside and surpass the ones inside. The Bible says it's something like this. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. The Bible also tells a parable of of vineyard workers. And within that parable, it's the the folks that were hired first that were mad, And the folks that came in last were the most grateful. Just Just like it was with the religious Jews that were mad at Jesus more than the Gentiles were. And it was also Jesus who who marveled and said, I have never seen such great faith, not even in all of Israel. And he was speaking about a Gentile centurion. That's who he was speaking about, a a Gentile centurion. And he said, "I've, I've never seen such great faith in all of Israel. Did not refer to the Pharisees and the scribes like this, but it was a Gentile that he was referring to. And furthermore, it was the religious people that bragged about their righteousness. The ones that that bragged about their righteousness, they were the ones that crucified Jesus. They were the ones that, that, that led that. And obviously, we know it was the will of God and no one could could uh, crucify Christ if you didn't want to be crucified. He did it willingly, but they were, they were the ones. It was the religious leaders. They were the ones that, that, that pushed this forward, not the sinners. It was the religious people. And it was the, the prophet Jonah. We just came out of reading the book of Jonah together as a church, and it was the prophet Jonah who, was, who remained angry with God after the, all of the, the sinners repented they, they let go of their anger. God relented from his anger, but it was the prophet Jonah that still held on to his anger. It was the prophet. So the Jews that crucified Jesus, the, the prophet Jonah, the early laborers in the parable, the older brother, they were all self-righteous. They were all self-righteous. The older brother was self-righteous. Self-righteous people don't understand the weight of their own sin. They don't understand the weight of their own sin and the true need for them to be forgiven. They don't get it, they don't understand it. And they really don't see their need for the Father. They believe that the Father needs to punish the sins of others to its fullest. But they always cry out, as you've heard me say before, grace, themselves they're not grace filled people since again they don't believe that they themselves need much grace right? because they're good so they don't extend grace to others they don't see much of the need for it and usually as we see in this story they're not excited about the repentance of sinners it just, it just doesn't excite them. When lost people get saved, there's not a genuine excitement. For it's not a big deal in their eyes. They see everyone else's sin but their own. And they still can't rejoice when a person who they know is a sinner turns from their ways and receives grace. It's sad. Verse 28. But he was, he was angry. The older brother, but he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. He was angry, he wouldn't go in, his father came out and pleaded with him. Again, just like Jonah, there are so many resemblances here between the older brother and Jonah. It's almost like they're, they're the same person almost like they're the same person. But since the, since the older brother doesn't have a name, I think we can call him Jonah just for the sake of, of us understanding what he was like. The older brother's relationship with, with the father was more of a uh, transaction. That's what his relationship with the father was like. The older brother believed that he had, had earned his father's love. I've earned, I've earned your love. I've earned it. I've earned it. How dare you love him like that? I've earned, he has not. I've earned your love. And it was him believing that he had earned the father's love that didn't allow him to, to truly be able to partake of the fullness of it. But the son who was acutely aware of his sin and his failure and his shortcomings he was able to partake of the fullness of the father's love because he knew that he did not deserve it but he was angry and would not go in, he was not willing to go in is the implication here, he wasn't willing therefore his father came out and pleaded with him his father came out I said this last week but the father will meet you wherever you are Amen So the son would not come in, so the father came out. And he will meet you wherever you are. He'll meet you at a church that gathers in a brewery. He'll meet you in the streets and bring you in to the sanctuary. But he will meet you wherever you are. You're not coming in, he'll go out and he'll get you. In in both instances here, the father leaves his house in order to go outside with the will and intention of bringing the son in, inside and into the home. With the younger son, he's brought into the house and he is celebrated. And with the older son, we don't know whether he comes in or he stays out. However, the story ends with him on the outside. Verse 29, so he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me even a young girl that I might make merry with my friends. His word here, lo. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, it's like... Look Again, he never addresses his father as father And he says, look he, he disrespects the father here And he's saying to him, look, let me tell you something It's a, it's a disrespect to the father And he says, I, I never transgressed your commandment at any time This was, it could have been a true statement from the Sun here. And that was the claim of the Pharisees. That was their claim. I never transgressed. That was the, the claim of the Pharisees. And again, I told you, if the Pharisees were among us, you'd be impressed. Seriously, you'd be very, very impressed. They lived holy lives. They were upright. They, they stayed away from sin. We would all be very impressed with the Pharisees. And that was their claim. I never transgressed. And the son says, I never transgressed. Could be a true statement. He said, Dad, I've never, I've never transgressed against you. And the father doesn't say, yes, you have, son. He He says, Father, I've never transgressed against you. Verse 30, but as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted cow for him. This son of yours, he doesn't even acknowledge him as a brother, as as his brother. Like like many believers today, well, if he was a brother, then... Well, if he was a brother... But he doesn't even acknowledge him as his brother. You killed the fatted calf for him. For for Jonah, it was the plant. Right? Jonah loved plants more than people. For the older brother, though, it's the fatted calf. And you have to understand, this was was very rare. Uh, Meat back then was like a delicacy. And and the and the fatted calf. That would usually be done, I mean, very rarely. And it would be like a, like a huge community event. Like, you wouldn't pull this out just for the family. Like, when you pull out the fat calf, like, everyone's coming. It's a big deal. So, this older brother has, has an issue with the fat calf. The older brother loved the fat calf more than he loved his, his dying brother. Think about that. His priorities, again, are out of whack. Verse 31. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me. And all that I have is yours. I want you to understand that this was his his birthright. Everything left now literally did belong to the older brother, the older son. Everything that was left actually belonged to him. Remember, for the younger son already received his inheritance, right? And he wasted it. He, he squandered it. Notice that the consequence of sin still remains. For the younger son. I want you to understand that. He came back to the father's house. He was loved, he was welcomed, he was forgiven. But the consequence for his sin still remains. He lost his inheritance. Everything now left belongs to the older brother. The younger brother got his his share, his his one-third. The older brother gets the remaining two-thirds. Nothing belongs to, to the younger son now, but it's all older brother. The consequence for his sin remains. There, there are consequences. He's been forgiven, but there are still consequences. Verse 32 It was right. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. It was right. It was right. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. And is it right for you to be angry? Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? In these three parables, this is what we see. Every time that the lost thing was found, we see rejoicing. In the three parts of this parable. Every time the lost thing was found, we see a pattern of rejoicing. There was rejoicing for a sheep, rejoicing for a coin, and the most valuable of the parable is is a son is a brother, is, is a human being, and the older son cannot rejoice. He can't rejoice. He can't. And let me say this to you. If you are not rejoicing in the, in the salvation of sinners, you're not in tune with spiritual things and you're out of tune with heaven. If you're not rejoicing in the salvation of sinners, you're not in tune with what God is doing. You're not in tune with spiritual things. And you're out of tune with heaven. The father is is key in this story. And he's not just willing to, to bridge the gap between himself and his younger son. He's not just willing to bridge the gap between himself and his older son but he's also willing to bridge the gap between brothers. So it's not just the reconciling of of these sons to the father, but the father is also trying to reconcile here. Trying to reconcile these brothers. Trying to get his brother to understand. And God is calling us to do the same. This chapter shows us an an unusual Father and an unusual God. It shows us and reveals to us the, the sin that you didn't know you had, or the sin that you couldn't see clearly. And in this chapter, we see that salvation is available to both sons. Salvation and the love of the Father is available to, to both sons. So in conclusion here, I shared this story with, um, with my children on, on Friday night. And I, and I asked them at the end of the story, I said, do you guys have any questions? And Moses, my, my nine-year-old, he said to me, he said, he said, Daddy, he said, why did Jesus tell this story? What was the reason? I just thought, man, that's such a sophisticated question. Because he wasn't focused on any of the details of the story, but he said, he said why? why did Jesus tell this story? Again, I just thought it was a great question. He said, what was the, what was the purpose that he told this story? And so the, the main purpose of this parable, part one, part two, and part three is to get the Pharisees and scribes to see themselves. To. To the point. That they are, in fact, the older brother, the older son. And obviously, again, right, he's, he's ministering to the tax collectors uh, and the sinners too, right? Like, like they know, man, like, The Father's love is for me. So he's ministering to them too. But he wants wants the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes to ultimately see themselves. And that's what he does here. They are the older brother. They are the older son. The Pharisees and the scribes are. The son that by appearance is close to the Father, but in his heart, He's far away. He, he says all the right things. He, he dresses the right way. He stays away from sinful places. Reads and memorizes the word of God. Quick to call out false teachers. He serves in the church. Does not blaspheme. Does not have any gods other than the one true God. Does not commit adultery. Does not lie. Never. Never lies. Does not steal. Does not murder. Does not covet. They pray. Often, they tithe. They're committed. They're faithful. They honor the Sabbath day. But they have no love. Are you hearing me? But they have no love. They really don't love lost people. And they truly don't understand the weight of their own sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 13. Verse 1 through 3, excuse me. 1 Corinthians 13 verses 1 through 3. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, This is the older brother, these are the scribes and the Pharisees. And these are the hardest people to minister to. You really don't know if they're in the house or if they're out. You just can't tell. Are you in or are you out? Like the, like the tears in the wheat. You cannot tell by, by, by the naked eye where they're at. It's difficult to discern their condition. And they too, unfortunately and and sadly, they lack awareness. And they're blind to their condition. The worst thing about being deceived is the one deceived does not know it. It's the worst thing about deception. And in church, you hardly ever hear about this kind of person. So it empowers them to think that they are okay. Because you hardly ever hear about this kind of person. We spoke about the younger brother last week, the younger son last week. And many identify, or many point the finger at other younger sons. But then this week, it's the older brother. Older son, and you don't hear messages about him, about those who are in church, faithful, stay away from sin, but they're far from the heart of the Father because they have no love. The Father's heart is a heart of love. Luke 18, verses 9 through 12, parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed with himself. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Amen. Amen, church. Luke 15. Jesus is ministering to tax collectors and sinners, and he's kind of rebuking the, the Pharisees and the scribes here, as he ministers to them as well. The amazing thing is that God, who is the Father, in this parable, again, he's showing love to both. To both sons. To the Pharisees, and the scribes, and to the tax collectors, and the sinners. Let's stand up, please. Perhaps you identify with the younger son, or perhaps you identify with the older son. Or perhaps you say, I don't identify with with either of these sons. I want to remind you of this. Either you are a lost son, or you are called to pursue lost sons. Either you are a lost son, currently, younger brother or older brother or you say no I'm, I'm I'm neither I'm not like the Pharisees and the scribes and I've been forgiven then you're called to pursue lost sons Amen you're called to reconcile brothers and sisters to him Amen Bow your heads, please. Take a moment and think about the word that you heard today. And how the word has ministered to you today. says that all we like sheep have gone astray but we know that the great shepherd became a sheep to restore humanity back to himself if you're in this room today and you identify with either son the younger son or the older son there is grace for you There is grace for you. The Father sees you. The Father meets you where you're at. And He extends grace and compassion to you. If you acknowledge that you are a sinner, you're not self-righteous, and you can see the weight of your sin, and you understand that as the Scriptures say, the wages of sin is death. The payment for sin is death. What you deserve because of your sin is eternal death is hell, is the lake of fire, is punishment. That's what you deserve for your sin. And the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. And if you can see your sin today, then there's grace available for you today. If you see your sin and you say, I'm in need, of a good father, of a good shepherd, of a savior, then Jesus Christ is that savior who came from heaven to earth, that lived a perfect life, a life that you and I could not live. That neither the younger son or the older son could live. The father was the only one that could live that life and he sent his son, he came himself through the form of his son and showed us how to live. And he took your punishment, your penalty, and your sin upon his own shoulders. And he says, if you confess the Lord Jesus Christ, if you believe in him, if you trust in him, if you call upon him, you shall be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, So right where you are, I give you the opportunity this morning, right where you are, to call upon Him. If you're in need of His grace and His forgiveness, or maybe you're the older son, and you see self-righteousness within yourself, you can repent this morning, and you can call upon Him. So take a moment right where you are, and do just that. I invite you to call upon Him. And as you do that, He will save you this morning. Take a moment and call upon Him. We'd love to hear from you. Visit us at thewaycitychurch.org.